just share with you something. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 speaks of spiritual gifts. Every single person has been given at least one spiritual gift. And it says here that if there's one who prays in a tongue, let them interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. I thank God, Paul says, that I speak in tongues more than y'all, yet in church I would rather five words that I may teach others also. That if anyone speaks in a tongue, let it be two or three at most, and each in turn, and let them interpret. And so this morning, the Spirit of God has visited us through our worship time, has visited us through a word, through a tongue and interpretation, to give us this sure hope and assurance that we don't have to leave here the same way we came in. But God wants to change and transform us. That is the message of the gospel. It is not just a little cleaned up, better version of us. It is a transformed life. Never to be the same again. Because in Christ, old things have passed away and all things have become new. Can we give God thanks this morning? Can we give him praise? Thank you, Lord, for visiting. Thank you for your word. And as you're seated, I just, I just want to pray for you. God, thank you that you have given to us the words of life. You have given to us everything that pertains to life and godliness. Thank you, God, that you have visited us in worship and in your word, that you have spoken to us by your spirit, that you have made this sure promise to us that we do not have to be the same, but we can be changed by the transforming and the renewal of our minds. In Jesus' name, all God's people said amen. 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 Well, it is so sweet to feel the presence of God. I, I wasn't uh, able to be here uh, with you last week, but I was here online. And I want to say Pastor Noah brought the house down with a word, didn't he? What a word Pastor Noah brought to us last week. That, that just blesses my heart, and, and I'm so glad to see that uh, our team just jumps in there and makes things happen every single week, all week long. So many things happening behind the scenes. I, I'm thankful for them, uh, thankful for their leadership and the way that they they bless you. Um, this morning, we are going to be concluding the first half of our uh, Pages Through Life, uh, Pages of Life, rather, uh, Journey Through the Psalms series. This is the first seven block, and then in the fall, we're going to come back, we're going to finish this up. But I just want to conclude this uh, message series today with a psalm of hope, a song to sing of joy. Can you say joy? This is a song of joy. And so these psalms, as we've been walking through them over the last several weeks, has been like a pilgrimage on the way to worship God. And this is the, the, the route that they would take going up to the city of Jerusalem to worship God in the temple. But I'm so thankful to know that we don't have to make our yearly pilgrimage to Jerusalem to worship God because we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And God's Spirit now dwells in us. And so we have this opportunity every single day of our lives to worship God in spirit and in truth. Psalm 126, if you don't have your uh, version of, of God's word with you, you can look up on the screen. I'm going to read these few verses with you here. It says, it seemed like a dream, too good to be true. When God, somebody say, when God. 
God does some miraculous thing. But when he does it, look, it seemed too good to be true. When God returns Zion's exiles, this is talking about the ancient people of God, the Hebrews, as they came out of Egyptian bondage and they came into the promised land. It said it seemed too good to be true that we would be sprung from the trap. We would be set free like this when God returns Zion's exiles. Look, we laughed. We sang. We couldn't believe our good fortune. We were the talk of the nations. God has been wonderful to them. God was wonderful to us. Look at this part. We are one happy people. Let's say that together. We are one happy people. This is the center point of this psalm. This we are one happy people is the exact center of this psalm. We're going to look at, at how this turns and how it pivots this, uh, this entire psalm. Look at verse 4. It says, And now, God, do it again. Bring rains to our drought-stricken lives, so those who planted their crops in despair will shout hurrahs at the harvest. So those who went off with heavy hearts will come home laughing with armloads of blessing. This is a song of joy, of adulation, of uh, praise as they're making their way to the place where they know they're going to gather with all of God's people and they're going to worship. Worship should be a great joy. It should be an anticipation that as the people of God gather together, there is something dynamic that happens in the atmosphere. I praise God by myself when I'm in my car. I praise God by myself when I'm going to work, when I'm in my office, when I'm at home. But, but there's something different that happens when we gather together with like-minded faith, with strong uh, hearts of worship together, and we get to say, great is our God, great is our Lord. And we laugh and we sing, and sometimes it's just too good to be true. I, I look back and, and I think about the celebration times of life. There, there, are, there are ebbs and flows of celebration that happen. I think back uh, maybe to some, some holidays that I've had with family or, or some, some things that have happened uh, as, a, as a joy or a milestone that we celebrate. I even go back into my BC days, you know, before Christ, my BC days. I had some fun in my BC days. Anybody testify you had some fun in your BC days? Come on, you can, you can testify. You had some, even the Bible says there's pleasure in sin for a season. So maybe you had some fun in your BC days. I did. But here's, here's what I've come to realize is that I have never, ever had as much joy, had as much fun as when I gather with God's people around God's purposes doing God's work. That is the most fun I have ever had in my life. And so I love to get together with people who will share and testify about the good things of God. I've heard, I heard people say, well, you know, you don't really have to go to church to go to heaven. That's true. You know, you, you, can, you don't really have to be part of a religious organization to be a Christian. That's true. You can be a Lone Ranger Christian if you want to, but you're missing out on so much of the blessing of your sharpening iron, sharpening someone else, of your life sharpening another person's life. You may not need anything from that small group. You may be so spiritually astute that you don't need the book that they're teaching or the class that they're explaining. But I guarantee they probably need something from you. I guarantee that there's something that we can get together and we can testify and we can share. Because the things that you have been through, maybe I'm not going through those yet. But eventually, somehow, I may go through those. And so I'll need to know the experience, the tested experience that you have that God has given you. And so this is what they're saying, that when God sprung the trap, when we got to be set free, when we were no longer captives, it seemed like we were dreaming a dream. Joy is the mark upon the life of a follower of Christ. 
It is, it is like the, the embossment upon the follower of Christ. When I talk about joy, I'm not saying that you're always happy. Please understand, happiness and joy are separate things. They're not the same. The Bible says that the joy of the Lord is what? It's our strength. It's what makes us strong. Uh, Proverbs 17, 22 says it like this. A merry heart does good, and then it makes a com comparison, like medicine. A merry heart does good like medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones. I want to talk this morning to some people who have been going through a, a dry spell. Maybe it's a desert season in your life. Maybe it's a long period of time since you have felt that joy. Joy is the mark of a Christ follower. Joy is something that is so much deeper than the smile on our face or the circumstances that happen on the outside. And the very first miracle that Jesus performed, listen, was at a joyous occasion. It was the wedding of Cana. It was the time in which people had already gone through all of the, the good wine, and they normally, at, at, in this day, would put out the, the water down, the lesser wine, at the end because they had already had enough. They wouldn't notice that there was a difference. And Jesus chose to make his miracle, wonder-working encounter on the world stage through a wedding at Cana. He turned water into wine. And the wine that Jesus provided was so much better that even the guests said, wait a minute, you're not supposed to put out the good stuff last. This is delicious. It was a joyous occasion. God marked the ministry of his son with a joyous occasion. And joy should be the characteristic of Christ's followers. I, I read about a, a priest not long ago leaving the, the mass and, and he's walking down the street, he staggers just a little bit, and there happened to be an officer standing there. The officer grabbed him and said, said, Father, are you okay? And he said, yeah, yeah, I'm going to be fine. And he said, well, I just have a question. What's in the bottle? And the priest said, well, that's, that's water. He goes, it doesn't smell like water. He smelled it. He says, it smells like wine. The priest said, praise the Lord, he did it again. <laughs> now, there can be occasions, just like you laughed in church, laughter is fine in church. And it doesn't always have to be a joke that makes you laugh in church. Sometimes the laughter starts because you are reminiscing and remembering and thinking about how good and how gracious and how merciful God has been to you. That was the occasion here for these people. They were thinking back and reflecting on, wow, has our God not just been over the top good to us? You know that uh, joy is not only a characteristic of a Christian life, it is actually a fruit of the Spirit. It is the second fruit of the Spirit. Now, we, we just witnessed some operation of spiritual gifts here in our service, and there are at least 21 spiritual gifts listed in the New Testament, but there are only nine fruit of the Spirit. And here's what's ironic to me is that you can have 20 spiritual gifts, but if you're not operating in the fruit of the Spirit, then really your witness is diminished because it is the fruit of the Spirit which bears witness to the working of God in your life, not the gifts. Gifts are important. Gifts are vital. Thank God for gifts. But how about having the fruit of the Spirit on display in our lives so that others can see that they can taste? You know, you know what you do with fruit is you pick a piece of fruit and you taste of it to see is it good. And that's what we want is we want to invite people into an environment where they can taste and see that the Lord, he is good, and his mercy endures forever. And so these people were walking the path of Israel. They were walking up to the mountain of Jerusalem to worship their father and their God. But that said, I do need to insert this. There are seasons in life that joy can seem to elude us. 
And sometimes, even in the midst of a congregation like this, where we have celebrated, we have had communion, we have worshipped together, there can be those, and I am certain that there are those of us, who are walking through a valley, walking through a dry place, where it feels as though joy has so escaped your grasp that you may never laugh again. Joy has so eluded your life that you're not sure if really there will ever be a joy that will be in your life like it was in the past. See, this was hinted at in this psalm. You have to read between the lines, but it's right here. It says, we thought we were dreaming. Listen, it seemed too good to be true. They had come through such a dark, dry season that to have anything happen good, much less a successive dominoes falling of good, would have been like they were dreaming. They had to almost pinch themselves. Is this real? Are we being this blessed? Do we really feel this joy of the Lord that is, is welling up, that causes us to praise, that causes us to sing? It felt like we were dreaming. We had been captive so long. Here's what they're saying. We had been slaves in bondage so long that we couldn't even hardly believe that this was happening to us. Now, don't raise your hand, but how many of you Something good happens, and you, okay, that was good. And then another good thing, and then you've had one of these super fantastic days where everything seems to be going good, and you have this thought in the back of your mind, I can't enjoy this too much. There's another shoe about to drop. I I don't want to embrace this too much. I don't want to go down this primrose path too far. I'm not sure that this is going to last. Because we know pain, we know heartache, We know suffering. We know these things. We're acquainted with these griefs. And so we somehow want to insulate ourselves. We want to put up a barrier of protection that we don't get too far into this joy thing. Let me tell you this. The joy of the Lord, which is your strength, will never disappoint. He will never let you down. He will never lead you down the wrong path. And I don't ever want you to doubt your spirituality or doubt your devotion just because there's some lack of happiness or lack of joy in your life. There may be, in fact, a season of this. Eugene Peterson said it like this, joy is not a requirement of the Christian disciple. It is a consequence. It is a byproduct. It is a fruit of the Spirit. It develops. I can't tell you how that those fruit end up on that tree. I know that there is a scientific process that someone planted a seed, the tree grew up, there was rain, there was soil, there was sunshine. I understand that there are a lot of elements, but it still is a miracle to me to look out in the tree and see that a fruit is hanging on that tree. It is a consequence that you and I, connected to the vine, the vine being Jesus, will have joy as a marker in our lives. Now, you and I live in a culture, we live in a, a, a day and age in which there is such a pursuit for joy and happiness that is outside of God, it excludes God, that we will buy things that will make us happy. There are advertisers all the time hearkening to us and, and witnessing to us and telling us and, and uh, trying to bring us into their, their good graces to take that next trip, to buy that next item, to go to that next place, and that will bring us joy. And so we have in our world today a lot of people who are pursuing joy, and they get a temporary happiness, and it's like a a, a temporary high that causes them to want 
that more, and so they go after that. But the entertainment culture never fulfills for very long, does it? It never satisfies. There's always a little bit more that we want. We never quite satisfy that longing. And we've done it even in, in church circles in America, I think, and in, in really in the Western world. Churches have mixed a little bit of entertainment with a little bit of God to try to gather a crowd and try to get people to, to congregate or try to make people interested in what they're doing. And I'm not making that as a knock against mega churches or medium-sized churches because small churches do it too. You find a little backwoods church of 15 people, and what will they do? They say, well, let's have a bake sale. Well, that'll gather people. Let's have a spaghetti dinner. That, that'll get people in. Let's offer some type of entertainment, and that'll get them. I remember the words of, of Pastor Lewis from Nigeria. When he looks at the landscape of all of the things that, that we do, and, and it's not wrong to, to offer uh, things like that, but if, if that is our main purpose, we're missing the mark. And here's what he said. Be careful the bait that you use to catch the fish because you have to keep using it. Be careful the thing that you put into your Christian walk that makes you excited about Jesus because if it's not gospel-centered, if it's not Christ-centered, then it's going to wear off. So it's not about the joy of simply gathering as a community of faith. There should be joy there. It's not about simply going to the small group study. It's not about simply the things that we do, but it is who we are centered upon the joy of the Lord the joy of knowing that we belong to him if God never does another thing for me if God never blesses me in another way I have enough experience I have enough past experiences with God to say God you are good you are my God and I will serve you and as we center our lives on his word then it's less of those exterior things that call to us that we have to heed that gives us this joy. There are three aspects in the center of this passage that speak to us. First of all, the past is very real and resonant in the first two verses. It says, when God turned our captivity into captive, when God set us free from bondage, when God did this in the past, when he did this, this was a marvelous thing. Verse 3 talks about we are a happy people. It's, it's present. It talks about the present. Right here and now, I can rejoice because we have been experiencing in the past and we are experiencing right now. We are one happy people. But then they say, but do it again, God. And they're looking forward into the future to say, God, I know what you've done in the past. I'm enjoying what you're doing in the future. But God, there's also some things that I want you to do in the future of my life. I want you to have preeminence in all that is in my life. I want them to put a picture up of this here. Uh, anyone who uh, has driven an automobile in, in this room, you, you'll relate with this picture because this is a person sitting behind the steering wheel looking out into the wide, vast open, the road that is before them with an option. And you and I have an option. The option is something that is pictured here and something that is not. The option is that you can always look into the rearview mirror. But what's not pictured there are the side mirrors. Now, it's interesting because what's in the rearview mirror is not only the past, but sometimes it's looking into the past for what might show up soon in your side mirrors and be in your present. And if I'm passing you in, in the road, I'll be in your future because I don't drive slow. You know, I'm going to get there. We're on the interstate. I'm going to get there. I'm going to be in your side mirror, and then I'm going to be in your windshield. 
because we're getting there. Someone asked me last week, they said, how long does it take you to get from, from uh, Cincinnati to Gatlinburg? And I said, well, we were, we were doing a little tournament down in Gatlinburg. I said, well, uh, probably about six hours, unless I'm driving about four hours and 45 minutes, and nobody's stopping for a bathroom break either. We were getting there. We have a choice. When we look at God and we look at our lives, we have a choice. Are we going to continue to look through that windshield, that, that wide open expanse, or are we going to continue to drive with our nose in the rearview mirror, looking at the past? These people, they rehearsed something in the past, but they didn't live there. They didn't stay there. They looked to the future. Now look at the, 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 the uh, correlation of how big that the windshield is versus how small that the rearview mirror is. There's nothing wrong with glancing every now and then into the rearview mirror. There's nothing wrong, and you should be looking at your side mirrors. Every now and then, it's okay to look back at life, but if you live looking in the back, then you'll never be able to capture what is in the front. God wants us looking into this vast future. You know what we do in, in, in the West is we tend to romanticize the past. We tend to look back on the good old days, how it used to be. We, we look back at yesteryear with such nostalgia as though it was the greatest time ever. We kind of forget about the pain of what we've been through, and we look at yesteryear as so wonderful, and we romanticize this. Maybe it's a, a defense mechanism that we set up that we don't wallow in our pain of the past, because I know there are some hurtful things in the past, but have you ever noticed that? We, we just kind of always think about the good old days. Well, let me share this with you. Someday, today will be the good old days. When you woke up this morning to come to church, that was your present. You woke up, you got ready, you came to church. Your morning today is in your past. And soon this present moment will also be in your past. Now I don't say that to discourage you or depress you. I say that to seize every opportunity that God has given you. Make the most of every moment. Instead of romanticizing the past, why don't you glorify God in the present and then have faith for the future? Present gladness is built on the past and it lives with hope in the future. Listen, I'm going to say it again. Your present gladness is built on the past but it lives with hope of a better future. We have to have that. And that's what these people had, is that they knew that joy had a history. There was a joy of what God has already done, and it was related to God's activity. And I think that we, you and I should do something every now and then, is we should sit down and we should recollect or we should rehearse all the things which God has been faithful to do in our lives. We should really take a mental inventory every now and then, just take an introspective look and say, God did this, and God did this, and God did this. And so therefore, if the past is any predictor upon the future, you know how they, how they gather uh, the, the data to get a credit score? If you go in to apply for credit somewhere, they're going to take your past history of experience. They're going to, know, they're going to be able to know whether or not that you paid in the past as a pretty good predictor indicator how you're going to perform in the future. And if you've paid well in the past, then they'll probably give you way more credit than what you would want to expend for things that you'll buy now and have to pay for in the future. Anybody know what I'm talking about? God's credit is impeccable. His past is perfect. His present with you is sure, and his future is promised, and it is secure. You can be sure that God is a good risk for your future. And this is, this is where we, we have to, joy is nurtured with this future anticipation. 
There are two images that they give in the last couple verses here of this text. The first image is of rain coming to drought-stricken land. The land that they're talking about is the south of Jerusalem, the south of the entire nation there of Israel. The name for it is Negev, and it would be dry for either years or many seasons, and then all of a sudden there would be a flash flood that would come, a rain that would come, and out of nowhere there would be these green areas that would start to spring up even in the midst of dry and rolling hills. There were just a few springs. There wasn't a lot of, of, of vegetation or rain most of the time in the area, and it was an isolated place. This is the very place, the land of the south. It's just alluded to small here in verses 5 and 6. But this is the very place that Isaac and Jacob wandered as they were looking for water in the wilderness. This is the very place that Abraham, when he was told to leave his city, to leave his town, to leave his country, and he said, God, where do you want me to go? And God said, you'll know it when you get there. This is the very area where he just set out. God didn't tell him north, south, east, or west. Now, how's that for, for GPS? You know, you and I want to know exactly where we're going, when we're going to get there, what the coordination is. What the, we want to know everything. But God talks to people in faith, and he just says, just go, and I'll show you when you get there. Just go out by faith. This is the very place. This is the very area, the geographic location. How many know that the area is important? What, what your surroundings look like are important. This is the very place that David, as he was wandering the wilderness, waiting for God to fulfill the promise that he would be king, he wandered for 14 years. Listen, David was anointed king, they believe about age 14, by Samuel. Oil was poured on him, public event between his family. He was anointed king. It was 14 years later before he actually ascended to the throne. He lived and walked through a dry, arid, isolated desert for 14 years. Many of those years on the run from the legitimate king, Saul, before he ever grabbed hold of that promise. Now I can testify, I don't believe that I have ever waited 14 years for a promise to be fulfilled in my life. I don't like waiting 14 days for a prayer to be answered. But can you imagine 14 years of walking with God? This later was the very place that the prophet Jeremiah went and wept and wrote, went and prayed, when for 40 long years he preached faithfully the full counsel of God and they tell us that Jeremiah did not even see one convert to his ministry in 40 years. How's that for success? Could it be that our measurements are wrong? Could it be that maybe the lens that we see through is skewed? That maybe, just maybe, God is doing a work greater on the inside of us than what is evident on the outside. And here's the psalm that says, God, do it again. Bring rain to our dry and sun-scorched land. Now, this wasn't written to us, but it was written for us. And so we may not be walking through a literal desert today, not with sand underneath our foot, but maybe perhaps we're walking through a dry spell in our own lives. And our prayer to God is, God, would you just do it again? Would you just bring some much-needed water and relief 
to my sun-scorched life. And the second image that he gives is that of a farmer. Talks about a farmer who has sown the seed and then with anticipation desires to come and bear that precious seed to have a harvest someday. This farmer that plants in faith, not knowing exactly if this is going to be the season, if this is going to be the year, is this going to be the time that I get the opportunity to reap a harvest? And no doubt in this day, without all the modern technology we have, there were years and seasons where the farmers would plant and they would get no crop, they would get no harvest. But they're saying this here, they say, God, make it to where when those who planted their crops in despair, listen, planting in despair, you've got to plant in all seasons, plant in despair, shall shout hurrah at the harvest. So those who went off with heavy hearts will come back with laughing. Here's one of the most interesting things about the Christian life is that laughter and tears, they intermingle together. They don't have to be separate. You know, we do everything we can to rid ourselves of the pain. We numb our nerves to not have pain. We go after entertainment so that we don't have to be bored. We desensitize ourselves so that we don't have to have brokenness in our families and our relationships with all these other things. And we try to ward off this pain so that we never experience anything that is going to really get on the inside of us. But here's the prayer. These people said, look what God's done. It's not because we're lucky. It's because God is good. And in closing, right at the very end, here's what they say. Lord, do it again. Do it again. God, we know you're faithful. We know you've done it in the past. We know that you can do it in the future. And they didn't just ask, maybe if I'm good, you would. They said, God, with a bold declaration, do it again. Everybody's standing in this room. Everybody stand with me. Maybe today there's something that you have carried in your heart as a prayer, as a desire, as a promise that you have brewed over for a while. And you would just boldly and bravely today, with the household of faith and with the singers on this stage, you would come to this altar today and you would declare, God, do it again. Maybe it's in your life, your marriage, your home, your finances, your family, whatever it is, I want to ask people from all around this room, we've already broken the ice, we've come forward for communion, so you know what it feels like to walk forward. I'm going to ask you to do it again. Do it again. And when you get up here, ask God to do it again. Let's worship Him.